This episode of Let's Talk About Sex with Lynn and Jen is not intended as a substitute for seeing your own mental health provider. We are here to initiate conversations about sex. Let's keep the conversations going. You can find us on Twitter at TalkingSexPod or email us at TalkingSexPodcast at gmail.com. We also want to give special thanks to Nathan Diffie for our podcast cover art and our wonderful editor, Julia W.D. Harrison. Lynn Ponton and I, Jennifer Wong, are the executive producers. This week's Spotlight, we're going to be talking about a couple different things. I'm looking forward to this discussion. Hi, this is Jen from Let's Talk About Sex with Lynn and Jen, and I'm here with Lynn today. Hi, Lynn. How's everybody doing? How are you today, Jen? I'm doing good. I'm excited for our conversation today. It's going to be great. Yeah. Yeah, so today we're doing a spotlight on sex, which we haven't done in a while, and it's inspired by the recent episode of Game of Thrones, which was called The Bells. And a lot of people have been talking about what's happened within this episode, and we thought it would be a great time to explore some of the deeper themes around gender, women and male characters, or that's not right, women and (laughs) men characters, and being able to look at how this show has addressed different aspects of gender. Yeah, no, it's a really exciting uh, subject, and it's also very, I think, current with what people are talking about and thinking about. I've listened to a couple other podcasts just in the last two or three days because the episode just aired two days ago, basically, the the second to last episode, The Bells. And uh, a lot of the issues that we're interested in, we're working on our new book, Sex Lives 2.0, is really about gender roles and power. And a lot of those come up with these different characters at this point in the story. Well, I think it's come up throughout the whole story, but I think we're coming towards an ending. So it's interesting to see the directions that all of these character arcs are taking. Yes. And maybe to start out, talk a little bit about who are the characters we're talking about here. And, uh, you know, a lot of people are not listening to Game of Thrones or they're, they're tuning in at the end. I think both you and I have listened really for years. And I think, uh, were very interested in the development of character and writing. Myself as a writer, you too as a writer, were interested in that, but also as therapists and people. And uh, I see particularly the arcs with some of the women, you know, being very involved in taking on power. So you have the, the four main female characters, Arya, Cersei, Samsa, and Daenerys, and they're all involved in major power acquisition, you know, and how they handle it. You know, two of them, you know, Cersei and Daenerys, really, let's just say they learn how to use and abuse power. Uh, they, they have power and they abuse it. And for different reasons, I think, both connected with fear, but different reasons and feeling alone. And I think that's a major theme, that women can have power, but then they too will abuse it, maybe in the same ways that men do, maybe differently. 
Right. I think that's what it brings up is what what happens when people get power and is it a gendered issue or is it not a gendered issue? And I think that when you're looking at some of these characters like Daenerys and Cersei, I've talked about where on some level, I really love the way they're just super ambitious about going after the throne or holding on to the throne and the power that comes with that. And yet there's also a part of me that is frustrated in the sense that I really think there are different ways in which to manage power. And to me, if you took their roles and just kind of changed out and made Daenerys a man or made Cersei a man, to me, it then becomes a very like masculine trope. And so I wonder about that in terms of, you know, are they really changing things or is this just a a sense that, okay, it's it's still the same type of dynamic. It's just that now these characters are women. I, I think what it helped me to see, you know, particularly that episode, because they had Xerxes in the tower and they had Daenerys up on her dragon and they both were looking across to each other, really. And before Daenerys will actually destroy the city that Xerxes is really the queen of, you know, it is a moment, I think, where you see the fear in each of them. And that struck me as a complex way to show power, that fear, you know, they're trying hard to be strong, but the fear is just palpable with each of these female characters. I thought that was more complex than they often show it with men, that there is that underlying fear and the loss that each of them has had is really right there and propels the the action. But I did think that they then show the destruction that's really going to take place. And it is as violent and aggressive as anything that's happened in the show so far. Mm-hmm. And as anything we've seen men do, mm-hmm. really, in the in that show or in the world. Right. So, uh, yes, it, it really says that women can use power. It, and that power can go with either gender. It's not attached to one gender. Right. You know, power over an abuse of power can really be with either gender. In our world, women have less power. And, uh, you know, men have more, what I'd call community power. And that is a real structure. That means that they're going to abuse more in this way, really. But I thought it was an amazing lesson about power and gender, particularly this episode, now they showed it. I think, can we talk a bit more, too, about break that up in terms of the fear that you saw in each of them and how that relates to power? Because I think that's a really important aspect to underscore that we see when it comes to fear and power, how they are so intertwined. Yes, yes. Well, maybe I'll talk about one of the characters. You're you're sure. really great on Daenerys, so I'm going to leave you to talk about her. But okay. I think Cersei, you know, I'm the, uh, she's the older character here. And uh, because she's been in this role a long time, uh, you know, she really was involved in somewhat in usurping as coming from a family of usurpers. And her, her brother is known as the Kingslayer, her lo- lover brother, really. Right. But you see with her that she adopted a pattern of trauma, uh, of power early to offset the fact that she lost the mother, her mother was left with two brothers and had a very abusive father. She identifies with this abusive father 
you know, very, very early on in early episodes. And her character is really shaped around, you know, the losses and the trauma that she suffered, longstanding childhood trauma, and how it solidifies into power will protect me from fear. And there it is right there. And she, you know, some people say, oh, you know, she she loves her children. And I think not really. You know, she loves not being afraid. And the children give her a sense of power, too, when they're alive. And she's at the end. She doesn't save the child in her stomach and belly. And she decides instead to go with the power, you know, mm. and um it's a it's a powerful moment. Uh, it was also uh, shown on uh, Mother's Day, and uh, here in America, probably not in the rest of the world. But boy, I mean, seeing her a mother in that position, and seeing also her lover brother make every effort to get back, partly because he loved her, and on some level loved that child. Mm-hmm. You know, that wasn't. Um, and then they, as people know, they die together. In an operatic scene, really, uh, deserving of an opera someday, Game of Thrones opera's coming. But I thought that was an amazing learning lesson, really, about how power built into the character of an individual, you know, can really change your life course, and you can change the course of other people, and that it's hard to break it if it's built in very early with that early trauma and a a sadistic father and a lack of love and then power becomes what you hold on to really instead of other things Mm -hmm. well I think you then on some level too you associate having power with that love and so I think talking about identifying with the abuser is very important and from a therapeutic perspective I think you and I picked up on that very early on with Cersei yeah I I think the the warm part of it is really Shown by her brother, who's a parallel, you know, uh, uh, he's going the other way. He starts out some with power, though he's always in a tied-in relationship with her. Mm -hmm. He will do bad things, power over things for her. He will do almost anything for her. But I think at the end, it's clear that uh, the character Jamie, the male character, is going with love. You know, he's trying to say to her, just think, focus, we're going to die. But at this last moment, we have love, focus, focus on that. Well, he's the one who plays the nurturing role in that situation. Absolutely. But he's um, a great character. And I don't mind saying out of all the characters, the male characters in this, I'm most drawn to him partly because of the redemption and the different factors he plays out. Even though in the opening scene, he threw the boy, the little boy, out of the tower and uh yeah that, was, that for me was uh, just uh took me a long time to recover from that well it's horrific behavior right exactly but how people grow and they change and they see things differently um you know how he's able to give up power for love really um it's very important and that and that message came through very clearly and to apologize and seek redemption for what he'd done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he's the one, he's one of the characters who definitely goes through more of a reflective phase and looks at his behaviors and how it affects other people and uses that feedback to make different choices. I really liked the character arc where he, um, right before that huge fight 
of Winterfell and the White Walkers and all of that. Um, he knights Brienne. Brianna, yes, of Lady Tarth Brianna. or something. I can't Lady remember. Brianna. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> and so um, Bri- Brienne becomes Sir Brienne, and I thought that was such a great arc in terms of just their whole story, the way their relationship played out across the whole series. And I was actually very upset that it carried out into this then sexual encounter, because to me, like that was enough for the arc, and I thought that. It seemed like a very masculine-driven motive to have them have to move in that direction. Like, to me, it felt like the arc was completed. It didn't need some kind of sexual engagement. And I was upset, too, about the way when Jamie leaves, Brienne just kind of falls apart entirely. (laughs) I think very, very interesting observations there because I think, I suspect we don't know yet, but Cersei's baby with Jamie has is is died is dead at this point, and and I suspect that they look for circularity in this this series, and really these books, and I think that uh, the question of whether or not Lady Brienne is carrying Jamie's child too, is really something that the writers were looking for, but I agree with you. That's a kind of baby survives at the end. Uh, you know, everybody gets married and have a baby. It has echoes of that theme. And I thought that that was one of the most sensitive uh, moments in the series when she was knighted. A woman is able to become a knight by a powerful male figure who recognizes her as an equal. Right. It was incredible. I mean, I think... For men and women to watch that is a great, one of the great scenes in that whole uh, series. Um, Their sexual relationship, yes, it was less, and in some ways it took away from the power of that. Um, But, you know, again, there's these other themes that keep coming through both the books and the series, and I think what you and I've talked about is it uses some traditional gender tropes and combining them with new gender tropes. So it's working it from both ways and they're coming in fast from both sides. You know, he knights her, they're equal, and then they're having sex that night. He's in her room and, you know, yes. And then he leaves her and she's sobbing and he goes back to the other woman. So all of this, anybody who hasn't seen this show is thinking, I don't think I'm going to watch this. But um, but it is fairly complex and, and really interesting. Well, that's actually what I love about the show is how complex these things are. And I think part of that's part of what's frustrating me is they're obviously racing towards the end and they need these characters to be in certain places. And so they're sort of having to work backwards, I think, to make these things make sense. And to me, what I loved about these characters was how nuanced they were in these situations they're encountering. You didn't always know the choice that they would make. And that's what I enjoyed. Whereas here, I almost feel like I can see it playing out, not directly. And of course, the show is known for throwing things, you know, from left field. So certainly that's still possible. But I think for me, it it's just become a little more heavy-handed than in previous seasons and what I really enjoyed were those little nuances because Mm. as a writer those little nuances 
are are what grab the audience's attention, I think. And it's what makes a character more whole is that we aren't just these black and white people. It's that we have to weigh out all these different factors. And that particularly in the area of gender that they write about, gender is complex and it's our little nuances and our big nuances when we break the rules that really give us a complex gender or, you know, uh, in terms of orientation. And I think it's very interesting that uh, particularly the character Aria, I know we're going to talk about Daenerys, but it's okay. we'll Aria get there. is a young character and at the beginning, an 11-year-old, and watching her uh, really gender develop. She takes on a male role, a female role. She integrates both. Then she has her own role. She's really running her own role, almost independent of gender by the end of this uh book and series and i think that's very important how do we create a role that transcends gender and move on from it Mm -hmm. i mean because i think that is what uh, my goal in understanding a lot of this is is like how do we break those because some people are naturally going to fall into stereotypes because that's just how the world is but how do we stop seeing immediately through this lens and i think aria is a great example of seeing that transformation happen for those who've been following the series it's kind of symbolized by the use of different faces or masks for aria so you get a clue that she's trying different roles because she has the ability to take on masks and really be different people at different times. And I think many of us, in terms of our gender, feel that way. You know, at this time, we're a man. This time, maybe a more female traits. But at this time, maybe traits that don't belong to either gender. You know, so really, where are we with the gender? And she challenges us all, this character. And I, I think it's she's a great learning lesson. And I love to look at the way different people, the way the show highlights these different strengths, too. Because if you look at her sister Sansa, who is older and has also taken on a more stereotypically traditional role, she still is a woman with a lot of power. And she learned a lot, in particular, from Littlefinger who taught her how to make alliances and how to use power in a different way, a more subtle way, but still very powerful. Yes, and the two sisters are a nice contrast. Um, It's not only fellow podcasters that are talking about this. Rolling Stone has a huge article this month on the two sisters and their relationships both on and off show. And actually, (laughs) it's interesting reading about the lovely actresses that play the roles because they break out of gender too. They're not what they are on the show either. So you realize that these are characters that now live for us. Right. But they're played by people that are really very different people too. So gender is shape-shifting at a lot of times. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, and and that kind of takes us back to Daenerys, too, who I think it's been toyed with in terms of her temperament, because there's sort of this idea of her dad was the Mad King, and is she or is she not going to be a Mad Queen, which, you know, we obviously see in this episode, they've chosen for her to go in that direction. Um, But throughout the story, I think it's been very upsetting to a lot of people because throughout the story, she's presented as the person who's going to change things. 
she's going to champion this type of power. She's not okay with slavery. She's what I find in terms of observation, though, is that she also has engaged in a lot of horrendous behavior, which she identifies as justice. And I wonder if you have any thoughts about that, you know, in terms of with the slavers, she took them because they were nailing children to these posts and she did the same to them. And to her, that was justice. Well, I think she and Jon Snow are contrasted in terms of their use of power. They're two of the most powerful figures in the series and books. And how they use power is is somewhat different. They both want to change things. They will both want it to be fair and to be a land of free men and women, really, free people. And I think the free people are interesting because they're a symbol for that. But uh, I think with Daenerys, you see that there is a thread that runs through her character early on of revenge. And it's there. And, and the justification and of the it. And the justification of revenge. And it just, um, you know, you must hold back at that moment. Often we see Jon Snow holding back. He's not going to extract revenge. And I hope we see with Arya in the last episode that that extraction of revenge is not part of it. You know, I, I mean, I think that's a very, very complex issue. And when Dar Daenerys is standing, uh, you know, on or sitting on the dragon up on top of, of King's Landing and she's looking over towards Cersei, um, she makes a decision then. She's so upset and so bereft and so traumatized that she takes out these emotional feelings on these people on the ground. You know, the, the slaves and the people of the town that she had wanted to save. And others could see it coming. Uh, you know, other advisors had said, this is coming, we feel it with you, it's your weak point. But she still, she has, feels the power. And the power trumps the fear, you know, the power moves in and the power and fear can be a very bad combo. And that's what was got me thinking a lot is that I hadn't considered that she was necessarily afraid in that situation. You know, I, I definitely see it with Cersei. With her, I saw it much more as sort of her loneliness, which is a different type of fear, I suppose. The fear um, of being alone mm -hmm. and being isolated and having no friends, no people. You know, that the man will be in charge because he's a man, you know. And also, I think, though, this idea of like, what if everything you work for, you, you're there, you're about to get it, and it doesn't look anything like what you thought, you know, she just lost the people that yeah. her two advisors who have meant everything to her, her lover slash nephew no longer wants to be her yeah. lover. And she lost her dragon. Well, she's now lost two dragons, right? She's left with the one that she's riding. And so even she has believed since she was young that this is her destiny. And yet here she is at this place and it doesn't look anything like what she thought it would be. And this brings up that really key word, I think, which is destiny. You know, this is another factor playing with the power, you know, in all of this and the fear. 
And if you believe something is your destiny and you are not flexible in life, it is a dangerous spot to be in. And, you know, you really see the good advisors in this series. And there's some of the men we're going to talk about, but there's women advisors too, who really tell her, you know, with their eyes, hold back, hold back, you know, because this is, uh, you know, destiny is there for all of us. But I think we have to use our minds and our hearts to really work with it. And I think as you were talking about Varys is one of the ones who pointed this out when he was talking with Tyrion about how a lot of people have justified a lot of horrible things by saying that's destiny or that's justice. And I think that's a very profound thing that we all want to consider. Yeah, this brings us, I think, to the group of of male advisors. And, you know, they're, this kind of shocked me till we started to prepare for the podcast. Right. There are actually just so many castrated men in this series and books. And uh, just for example, Varys is a, a eunuch who is a longstanding advisor to many kings and queens in this series and very interesting character. And then there's Theon, who's the, you know, son of the whole Greyjoy line, and he's castrated in kind of a brutal way in all of this. And then there's Grey Worm, who's the leader of a whole group of enslaved people, and he's castrated too. And so you begin to see, um, you know, then adding on to this, there's the three-eyed raven who's paralyzed, the son of one of the sons of Ned Stark. So, um you know, for those who haven't listened, if you're interested in issues about the wounded male, and the wounded male is a, a kind of fantasy figure, you know, the wounded leader, you know, it's it runs through lots of fantasy writing, but it's really prevalent here. Almost all the men have a major hit, you know, physical hit. Jamie, we already mentioned, has one hand that he lost. Uh, Tyrion is a dwarf. You know, so that's, uh, uh, again, something, you know, he's limited in this way, though his mind is giant and overarchs everything. And Jon Snow's a bastard. So you've got them all with flaws. And we all have flaws, so it's good to have that. But there's a lot of, for those of us interested in gender, there's a lot of castration in this. Well, I think it, it plays out these themes, which makes it more complex. Instead of just the standard male hero... It really asks, how does this change people? And how does it change the decisions they make? How does it change the way they are shaped and their identity? And I think that's a lot of what this show explores is about how people form their identities. Exactly. And, and over, gender is a huge part of that. And over time, and it takes them stark children to kind of focus on. But we also watch the, uh, the Lannisters, uh, Tyrion his evolving identity from really kind of a debauched, uh, you know, youngest son of the Lannisters to a very evolved, thoughtful person, you know, and able to see way past things and still able to have love. He obviously loves, you know, a sense at this point, and is, is, there's something will happen in that area. But uh, there's a lot with all of these men in terms of how they use gender roles. I think that's so exciting, really, to see that. I mean, if you can look past the castration to how 
men can be in more complicated gender role and how people can really be in more complicated gender roles and that it doesn't divide us and we can be afraid and powerful and everything no matter what we are in terms of gender. Yeah. I mean, I I think there's so many layers and that's what makes Game of Thrones such a great show to talk about is because there's all these aspects at play. And I think that probably if we watch the episode again or if we talk with different people, there will be even more things that come up. You know, as we're sitting here, I'm also thinking about how with some of these characters, like I think in particular, one thing I've been tracking with Tyrion is he's made a lot of mistakes in terms of advising because I think part of him still wants to protect his sister. And I think it brings up an interesting concept which is often attributed to women which is that we will make mistakes because we have these emotional ties and so I I wonder about how that kind of plays out I I just thought about it now as we were discussing this so it's not a fully formed thought yet but I was thinking a lot about that like what does that say about the way ties change people And that's a big part of the show is people are tied together by many things, by blood, you know, is a tie, by caring, by love, so many different things. And he does make mistakes and he lets Daenerys down because of those mistakes. And, you know, his sister is the other queen and he is the advisor to her. So, uh, but he learned from the relationship with his sister in order to help Daenerys So uh, I do think it's hard. You have to take that into account that people have strong ties underneath it and to really look at those too. And, you know, but Daenerys should be able to see, and it's a challenge for her, that he is advising her in the best way he can. And he has a lot of important things to say. And I actually think Daenerys has grown a lot Uh, obviously across the series, but particularly in this season, she's often stating things that turn out to be true that, you know, maybe I'm trying to think like, for example, when she tells John to keep their, his Targaryen background a secret, because if he tells Sansa, it's going to get out and all of this. You know, she's she is correct in that being the downfall of so many of so much of this. And when she's talking with Tyrion, she points out certain points. And I think that she is actually being able to read a lot of these things very well, where she sees that she is an outsider, that people gravitate towards Jon Snow, even though she, you know, brought the dragons and she brought her army and she's really contributing. She left the thing that she considered her destiny in order to go help up at the north. And yet it's not being reciprocated there. That's such a complex issue, because if you look at this, it seems clear that if they didn't have the fight in the north, there wouldn't even be a fight in the south. So there is that point to it. Uh, It's hard for her to see it. Um, I think she becomes very afraid with loss at the end. She's really needed the support of her dragon slash children and her friends. And without it, She's not able to make good choices about power. And um, she doesn't trust in the same way 
she's more fearful. We might say she looks a little paranoid. You know, they say, oh, now the crazy genes from her father come in. But I wonder about leaders, you know, when you're at the top and the paranoia and the fear about falling down and being taken over and the whispering at night that you hear about people wanting to take your power, all of that, it's, you know, it's hard, really hard. Well, I think when you have a situation where power means power over, then there's inherently a fear of not having that power anymore. And I, on some level, I do wish that this show would explore a little bit more about what it looks like to have a power equal relationship. But I also know that a lot of this book is based on wars from the past and the Mm -hmm. pattern of history where it's always been power over. I think where it gives us the hope for the future, and we've been talking about it, Jennifer, are these characters, that the characters themselves begin to show new ways to use gender and power and not the traditional ways. Yeah. And so there's hope for us all with these characters, with our castrated men and our brave knights and our, you know, women who are shapeshifters. You know, there's a lot of hope around the world and gender in these characters and it's interesting i just want to say one more thing about the show um you and i both watched it there is a lot of violence there's a lot of sexuality there's a lot of trauma evoking things going on and they state that you know it's tagged at the beginning or it wasn't originally but now is tagged on these episodes and i think it's really important that people be aware of that because it can trigger a whole group of people we see. Oh, absolutely. Have really been traumatized by this. But at the same time, there's a lot to learn. If you can shut your eyes through the parts of the trauma that you can't watch. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there are definitely scenes that I don't ever want to re-see in my life. Um, I'm also a very imaginative person. And so I can very vividly remember certain things, especially the emotional content. And it's just like, oh, God, okay, (laughs) I don't ever want to go through that again. And I think, though, like being able to talk about the complexities of this is very important because it does relate to our own personal lives and the people that we work with and the people we see. And also just the people we interact with on a day to day basis that we don't know their background stories. Absolutely. And this is something um, we can talk about with many people. I mean, having something that's so watched, uh, really a creative art that's watched in this way and read about is just so important. And it's psychological. And I thank the authors, all the authors of this uh, for making it that way. It's really great. What do you think about this idea, though, that these men often are not going through transformation until they are in some way wounded? Well, it's an old idea that, um, you know, there's been a lot of critiques of, say, uh, the uh, Wagner, who wrote a whole series about wounded male heroes and all of that. That's just one example in kind of the male canon about male leaders have to be wounded in order to really understand these things. Can they understand them without being castrated? Yeah, I'd like to see that change. (laughs) I think we'd like to see that. Can they understand them without dying? You know, I think the issue for men today in the world is men have more entitlements. How do they understand 
the perspectives of those who do not have those entitlements. You know, masculinity is an entitlement at this point. It's a big question. So I'd like to see kind of a male counterpart to Arya who could demonstrate in the way she does with shape-shifting how to go through the male pathways. And uh, uh, I think it would be wonderful. It's uh, it's going to be another one in the future. Yeah, I definitely think I definitely think we'll see it in the future, maybe not in Game of Thrones, but at least I think it's opened up a lot of different passages for how gender can be navigated, how it has been navigated. And it certainly gave us a lot of jumping off points that could be even more discussion. Yeah, so I encourage people really to to watch it or, or get, communicate with us really about your ideas about gender in this series. Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. Thanks. Come on. Let's talk about sex.